and uh, worship him this morning. Amen. So, Father, right now we bless you. We just thank you, God, for the great privilege to be in your presence, your house. Lord, you said, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Let your shadow, Father, cover this place today, Lord. Let your glory, Lord God, be seen upon your people, Father. We just ask in the name of Jesus, let fire, Father God, fall in this house today. Touch every life. Lord, let there be transformation and change by your great and holy presence. Oh, Lord, we just pray for that encounter in every life. And, Father in heaven, we believe it today, God. We thank you for it and give you praise ecstatically in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Give him a good radical praise this morning. Amen. We bless you, Lord. Amen. Did you come with your praise on this morning? Amen. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord. Amen. Let's lift up Jehovah. Amen. Amen. Worship, come worship. Amen. Let freedom reign in this house today. Just welcome your presence, Holy Spirit. He shames every idol. He reigns without rival. He goes by the Oh, the 
Jehovah Nisi fights your battles Jehovah Nisi fights your battles Jehovah Nisi fights your battle Jehovah Nisi fights your battle Yeah Jehovah Nisi fights your battles Jehovah Jireh meets your need Jehovah Rapha heal your body Jehovah Shalom be your peace Thank you Lord Jehovah Nisi fights your battles Y'all need to shout again to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to take our tithes and offering up first. If you have your tithes and your offering, can you just wave it before the Lord? We give you, God, a thanksgiving of praise, Father God, and we thank you for this day. We welcome you, God, and we just love you. We pray, God, that this will be just a building, an upbuilding up for your kingdom, Father, and we're just thanking you for everything that you have done in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't the Lord good? Yes. He's so good. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. We just worship him with this tithe and offering this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I believe something's happening in this area. I believe something is changing. Yes. You know, mindsets are being cast down. There's a new thing that's taking place, <laughs> and the Lord is bringing that into our into our presence this morning and we just want to thank him for that thank you lord thank you jesus amen amen if you want to stand back up we're going to go back into worship Jehovah Nisi. 
world is turned upside down. Peace. We just speak peace. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Just take some time here. Come on. We welcome you, Lord. You are the worthy one. You are the one, Lord, that we've come to celebrate this morning and lift up high. You said if you would be lifted up, Lord, that you would draw all men unto you. Thank you, Lord, for drawing from the north, south, east, and west. You're drawing. Eyes are being opened and hearts are being turned. Eyes are being opened and hearts are being turned. Amen. The declarations that we declared last night, we declare those things again today. We step into those things and command those things to come in the name of Jesus. Family members are coming to the Lord. They're being touched by the people that they will receive from. They're being moved on. Blessing is here. Blessing is here. Amen. This is time for celebration. Amen. We thank you, Lord.
Teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I will fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay And when I cannot stand I will fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay. that you have called us to, oh God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You're my supply, my breath of life, still more awesome than I know. You are my reward worth living for, still more
If you believe that, give him some praise this morning. You believe he's your way maker. You believe he's the promise keeper. You believe he keeps his word to a thousand generations. Somebody say, he's my God. He is my God. He is my God. He is my God. Amen. Somebody give him another shout of praise. Come on. Worship him this morning. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as you go back to your seat, just shake somebody's hand, tell them they look good. We want the ushers to come back. Ushers. Now when you, right now we are receiving this morning a offering for Dr. Robert Schlierden, and we ask you to just give in obedience to the Lord. Amen. We thank you that have given this week and have participated and, and for all the seed that you have sown, and I know God will add it back to you many, many, many times, many times. And a great exhortation, you know, that he was, gave last night on giving because it's, you can't outgive God. Amen. So this morning, I know that when you sow this seed, it's going in fertile ground. I think everybody knows that. Amen. So you look for a great harvest in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we're so honored and thank you today for the privilege of this gift that you've sent our way. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to sow seed and give. And Father God, that uh, we just ask, Lord, today that, Lord, those that have sown, Father, that you increase them in every way, multiply it back to them. We thank you, Lord, today for the man of God and for the word that he's going to bring. And Father God, we just honor you in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. to say this morning what a privilege it's been for uh, for us to have had uh, Dr. Robert Slayerton with us over the last few evenings and uh, the deposit that he has made into our lives. We have become the richer and the deeper. And I'm trusting that uh, in the days to come that, you know, you'll go back and watch some live streams and meditate on what's been said. And if you went to the honey pot yesterday and got some honey, some of that 29-pound cake. <laughs> Amen. And somebody slipped him a pound cake this morning. Sharika, come bring him one in. I'm like, all these pounds, these pounds. <laughs> you know, the church used to give poundings, poundings. And, uh, you know, so we have been so blessed, so blessed and honored. And we so much appreciate you coming. Amen. And for what you do for the kingdom of God. And we honor you for that today. In the name of the Lord Jesus. So we ask you to come. Let's give him a welcome as he comes and, and pours into us again. All right, there we go. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thanks for having me here in the middle of Virginia where there's a few cows and a few people. 
I've enjoyed it, and I hope I get to come back sometime soon. I, I want to come back when the leaves are turning. I think that's one of the best times of the year here, you know. So um, two weeks, or I'll come back in two weeks and have a fall seminar with you all, all right? So, but that's uh, good. Reformation, uh, great. So it's very good to be with you, and um, I hope that you... Um, I haven't talked much about uh, the Caneo Ministry School that you guys have here. I'm one of the professors, and I have the third year. And uh, so we're very happy about that. And uh, we want to pray for the Caneo students this morning, so don't let me say goodbye until I can zap them all, all right? And uh, do, do that, and uh, uh, we want you to be a part of that. And if you haven't been over to the Dawsonville Revival, the North Georgia Road, you should make a visit sometime. Uh, it was about five, six-hour drive. I mean, it's through the trees and the mountains. You're used to that, and you can do that. But it would be great for you to come. When the revival movements are happening, uh, go partake of them. Uh, let me just kind of, right now, we're used to a national wave where a revival starts, and it, like the Word of Faith revival, it came, and everything was faith all over. It just came like a wave like that. And that's what I expected in this one, but this one's a little different. There are regional revivals that are a little bit different than other regional revivals. So you have to discern the Spirit of God and see what He's doing in those regions and partake of it. Like if you go out to Bill Johnson's place in Reading, you'll get a prophecy and get healed. You know, if you go to Dawsonville, you'll get baptized four or five times. And you'll, you'll get baptized and make sure you're saved, baptized, get all the junk out of you and get, get healed and delivered. All kinds of stuff happens in their waters. Uh, they, they prophesy and do that, but that's not the main thing. For some reason, it's that way. So you have to discern what God is doing and... Uh, and, and, and enjoy it, amen? And I said, well, I don't like this. Well, just shut up and get baptized. <laughs> just shut up and take your prophecy and let them get you healed. Whatever they're doing there, just, just partake of it. I went to visit Oral Roberts. He lived out in California toward the end of his life. And my church and my residence was about 20 minutes from his. And uh, so we went over and would visit him quite often. And some Sunday mornings I'd come out and he'd be sitting in the crowd like, you don't sit in the crowd, Or Roberts. You, you you sit and you preach. You just you know, I'm not going to preach in front of Or Roberts. <laughs> I want to hear him preach. And so I went to his house one day, and as he got older, he didn't do a lot of traveling and preaching because his body just could not do that. And so ministers would come to his home, and he would have five or six minister, ministers like every other day come, and he would talk with them and pray with them and just you know minister that way. And so I went over to have lunch with him and his wife Evelyn. And I said, how was the ministers? He goes, well, it was a waste of my morning. I thought, ooh. I said, well, why? He goes, all they talked about is why my left hand doesn't work. Oral Roberts' gift, for whatever reason, God put his healing power in Oral's right hand. So the left hand had nothing. So don't ever get him to pray with the left hand. Nothing will happen. And so the ministers went there that day, and all they did was discuss why the left hand didn't work. What a waste of the time. Get the right hand vibrating and get zapped. And uh, so when you're around somebody, don't sit there and argue about how it works. Just cooperate and get blessed by it. Amen? And there, you know, it's just, you're with Oral Roberts for a whole morning and talk about something that's going to be beneficial. Why the left hand don't work. It hasn't worked for 80-some years. It's not going to work after your talk. The right hand, I always sit close to the right hand because if it starts to vibrate, I want to get hit first. So cooperate with those gifts, amen? So whoever comes to your church, however their gift works, just cooperate with it and get blessed by it, amen? All right, I've written about 98 books so far. I hope you can read them all before I'm dead. And I'm gonna mention a few of them to you. I write three kinds of books. Uh, the Lord gave my book ministry to me when I was a teenager. 
I didn't know what that meant, but now I, I do, and I'm glad that he gave me one. I've sold, I think, about 17 million books in English uh, that we know of, and they're in 68, 69 languages of the world. Uh, we don't count all the pirated books that we don't know that are out there. Because I'll land in countries and go, oh, here's your book. And I thought, I didn't sign a contract for that, but here's my book. So you just have, praise the Lord. And you go, but uh, so we're very happy uh, about our book ministry. Here's a book that I found when I was at Amy McPherson's headquarters in California. Her son, Rolf, and I were friends. And uh, I, I guess he thought I was funny and young and, and whatever. So he gave me access to stuff others could not get because his office was next back then to the archives. So he said, well, let's go in there and have some fun. So I would go in for days and just look at stuff. And, and I went through and they had a Wigglesworth file in her archives. Well, Wigglesworth would go there and speak about three or four times in his life and then teach in the Bible school. And so they, he would do questions and answers with their students and they took them down in shorthand. So I got them and printed them. And that's what this book is. So this is a little bit of a different Wigglesworth book of him answering questions to Bible school students. And like you know, how to walk in faith, how you raise the dead, all those kind of things he talks about in here. So it's a little bit different. If you like that, you can enjoy that. Have you heard of John G. Lake? Yes. That's a question. Have you ever heard of John G. Lake? Yes. All right. For you that haven't, he, he was one of our great Pentecostal pioneers. Uh, he was a Methodist. They got involved in healing because his wife got shot. Uh, nice way to get into the healing ministry that way. Uh, the, the, the little son was playing with a gun and it went off. And, uh, and so uh, she was supposed to die. And in those days, there was a man named Dowie that was a very famous uh, healing minister of the time, the dominant one. And uh, he, he was known for it. And it's amazing how you like people when you need them. When you don't need them, you kind of criticize them and gossip about them, you know. When you're broke, you're like your prosperity preachers. <laughs> When you're sick, you're like all the healing preachers, you know. It's amazing how all of a sudden you like folks you used to think they're kind of cuckoo. So just be positive, all the guys, all right? Just say, praise the Lord. And so he sent a telegram to Dr. Dowie. He said, my wife's had this accident. She's supposed to die. And Dowie sent a telegram back. She'll live, I prayed. That was it. And she did. And what happened was, because it was a small town in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Michigan area, where they were living at that time, the people begin to bring the sick to Lake's house because the wife got healed. You can fix my baby or fix my wife. And he didn't know anything about how to pray for the sick. So he decided to move his whole family to Zion where Dowie lived at that time and became a part of that ministry and learned about the ministry of healing. And so he uh, later in life would move to Spokane, Washington, all places in the world to move to, Spokane, Washington. When you move someplace, please go someplace nice. If you can have a voice in it, if God tells you one thing, that's everything. But if you have a voice, go where there's sunshine. Sunshine, people are happier. Where it's dark and cloudy, they're kind of grumpy and slow. Lord Jesus, raise the dead this morning, would you please? All right, it's true. It's very true. That's why I've lived in California. And now I live in Florida. I left the idiots of the West Coast and came to the same people of the East Coast. So. Um, now we do missions trips to California, you know, we, we do that out there. Well, he goes to Spokane, Washington, and he sets up, see, Dowie had healing homes where people would come to him. He bought these old Victorian homes and have places where the sick would come and he'd have his people in his church minister healing to them until they got well. So Lake began that and he called it the healing rooms. He didn't have the house, he had healing rooms. And it was like you'd go to the doctor's office. You'd have an appointment, you'd come in and he would assign you 
to one of his healing technicians that he'd trained. They take you to a little room. They find out what's wrong with you. Then they locate where you are in your faith. And then they would subscribe so many scriptures and what you do about them. And they would give you a spiritual uh, prescription of what to do and come back in a week or whatever. And they check, you know, walk with you all the way to your healing. They had 100,000 documented miracles in five years. It's, 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 it's a fact. It's not Christian exaggeration or folklore. It's a fact, okay? And it was, it was so powerful that that year that the United States federal government declared Spokane the healthiest city in America. And the mayor, when I read his speech of accepting the award and all the things that came with that, he thanked all the hospitals and nurses and doctors, and he included in his appreciation John G. Lake's healing rooms in his city. So he acknowledged that they were a part of why the city was able to receive that award that year. Isn't that kind of special? Isn't that nice? That's the way we should be. The healing ministry should be a part of the medical world in our community. What the doctors cannot do, send them over here. We'll take care of all those extreme cases. You know, when Lake had his Bible school, he trained his students. Uh, this is not my sermon. This is all free advertisement, okay? Um, uh, he, he, here's how you graduated. He assigned you a terminally ill person. And you could not graduate or come back unless they got healed. That's how you graduate. That was your final exam. Here's your case. You'll flunk or you'll graduate according to this person getting healed. Now, how would you like that for your final exam? Well, you know, I think I might try that at Caneo. <laughs> I'll say to all the students, here's your sick person. They're going to die unless you get them fixed. And if they die, well, you fail. Hallelujah. So, but uh, what I was, we have some of his books back there. His daughter was a friend of mine. His, he had several children. His last youngest daughter I had become friends with. Her name was Gertrude, real good old timey name. Her husband's name was Wilford, Wilford and Gertrude. And um, so one morning I was driving Wilford and Gertrude from Brother Hagen's office to Brother Or Roberts' office there because I'm the same city. And so I had them in my car for like 10 miles. And uh, so I asked her, I said, do you have anything I can have from your dad? And, you know, Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa is built on a mile stop signs, you know, that go mile in between. And she goes, yes, and waits a whole mile to tell me what I get. So she gave me all of his unpublished sermons and copies of the family photographs. So I was right. So these are some of those sermons. Uh, we have two Lake books back there. If you want to get that, it's available for you. I love all these things. I write three kinds of books. I write teaching books. I do the history books of the generals. And I bring things like that are out of print back into print. Because some books should just be available. They may not have great sales anymore, but they should be available for when a person or a church needs that particular anointing or gift or the way it God flowed through them to have access. So because I sell a lot of books, I make publishers obey. Does that make sense? I, I will buy 20,000 of those if you'll bring it back into print. So when I get to heaven, I hope all these guys appreciate what I did for them. Amen. And then all my, all my generals books. This is the last one that I've written so far. There'll be six more I'm writing of uh, the generals. It's called The Martyrs. It's a little bit different outside of my normal uh, general story. But uh, a few years ago when we were going through this ISIS mess, you remember all that? Yes. And I don't know if you remember, they were people in orange jumpsuits. They took down to the yes. ocean and cut their heads off. And that provoked me to write this book. And when you read a martyr's book, it's not that I want you to be a martyr. But if they could die for their faith, you can stand up and witness for your faith. So that's the purpose of the book, because I tell you, 
the, the whole story. Sometimes they don't tell you all the stories. I go back from the Roman Empire all the way to date. There's more Christians being martyred and injured for their faith than any other time in world history as today. In North Korea is one of the worst places. They will, they, even those big wheels, you know, they will make the roads, the big wheels that kind of flatten the, the tar out. They'll put the wife of the Christian man there and roll over her and kill her and let the kids and the husband watch and kill the kids next one by one and torture the Christian family. That happens today in North Korea. So again, I don't want you to get, when you read the book, I don't want you to feel sad. I want you to get the reality because God has a special place for martyrs and we should have a special place in our heart for them too. They didn't give up their faith. They died for their faith. And I always thought if they can go through that, you can stand up at Thanksgiving and pray a prayer over your meal with your woke relatives. Okay? So please get the book and, 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 and hear the story and let their death and their commitment inspire you to stand up in your family and in your community. You know, if well, they'll just scream and yell, well, that's better than being killed. Amen. So you'll enjoy that. Amen. All right. Now, last night, if you were not here, uh, this is part two from last night. I, I was got this morning. I thought, Lord, I had like four sermons. I thought, I can't preach four sermons. Which one do you want me to talk about? And all the ones I thought, he vetoed. Is that kind of nice? I thought, well, this is a good one, and I would like to do this and do this. And I actually tapped into it last night before I ended. And so, oh, go ahead and open your Bibles to John, St. John, the eighth chapter. For you that were not here, please watch the, the sermon last night. We talk about Martin Luther. And in the Martin Luther sermon, I talk about the money issue that came about in the church world. So let me recap because I'm going to talk about money this morning, especially on Sunday morning. That's when everybody's here, even the folks doing their duty. We're glad you're doing your duty this morning of being here. We missed you last night, by the way. But I want to talk about that because finances and prosperity has to be a part of our lifestyle in the last days. You know, because we're going to have economic woes up and down, and we're going to have to know how to stay in the kingdom the right way. Now, when we talk about finances this morning, we're talking about the money message, the biblical economics, or the rude word, the prosperity message, which the word prosperity is in the Bible, by the way, and it's used in a very positive way. So we want to stick with Bible verbiage. The reason why there's been attitudes toward the money message because of two things. One, in our time, there have been people who have preached about this subject for the purpose of what they get from you. It was self-gratification. They preached for self. And you can taste that and you can feel that. And that makes you feel awkward. You, you know you're being milked. You know that those things are happening. I've been in those services and I know some of those guys that do that and I'm like, please don't do that. But they preach the whole, I mean, what they say is correct it's biblical, but then the undertone to it is a self thing. It's a wrong thing, and it makes everybody feel bad. Now, as a preacher, I want to publicly own that, that we recognize that I see that I feel the same thing too, all right? So I want you to hear that. When you go into history, the reason why uh, the televangelist was not the money problem. They were just the next generation that took it to, to a media level. It began back in the Reformation and before when the Catholic Church, and I'm not being mean to the Catholic people, I'm just telling you factual history, okay? That's why God had to send the Reformation because the Catholic Church had gotten so far from Scripture and so far into things that God had to send a revolutionary revival and say, hold it, I want to be with my people. I want to, I want to do that. They wouldn't even give the Bible to the people. 
When they got up to speak, they wouldn't even hardly read the scriptures. And when they would read the scriptures, they would read it in the dead language of Latin when nobody understood it. Like if I would get up today and we were back in the 1200s and 1300s and I'm about to read my verse, I would read it in Latin, which nobody here would understand. And that's how the enemy kept the word even from coming to the ears of the people. So besides that issue, they were building those beautiful cathedrals, the Vatican and all those other cathedrals, which are absolutely beautiful and amazing. If you go to Europe, go see them. And I'll, like I said last night, and I really do this. Go look at them, take your pictures, go wow, and then kick it on the way out. Now, why would you do that? Because it was built mainly by lying to our ancestors to do that, all right? So the money issue with the church and the preacher did not begin with televangelism. It began way back. And when the people of that era, of the 1500s, began to wake up and realize that it was not purgatory, grandma wasn't stuck there, and when you gave $500, she didn't get popped out because she wasn't there to get popped out in the beginning. But that's what they were told, and that's what they did. When you wake up, there's an anger, and there is a mistrust that began. And so we have this in our church world. So when the prosperity message began to come around in our time, which has had its greatest impact in our lifetime. Uh, we, we had issues with it because of the historical thing that happened that we don't even know that's in us, but it is in us. It's amazing when you steal from great-great-grandpa and great-grandpa and grandpa and from you, how it sticks with all the future generations, all right? So I want to acknowledge that too. Now, no matter what the Catholics did, and no matter what the televangelists have done and some of the prosperity preachers have done, the prosperity message is still biblical. It is still in the Word. And you have to come back and revisit this by removing those bad taste and that ancient internal mm, about money and the church. Okay? There are people that do right by, there are more people that do right by church money than do wrong. Just like there are more pastors who have lived morally right than the few that have made mistakes and got restored. Amen? So it's amazing how the few that make a mistake, we swipe everybody with that brush. And that's unfair. If, if we did that to sports, there'd be no golfers. Tiger Wood would have killed them all. You get the point? So what I want to do is I begin this, I want you to hear as a minister, I call myself a prosperity preacher. I acknowledge those things that you see, feel, and have heard, and you're right. Those fittings, those discernments, that bad taste is correct in how you viewed things. But you can't take that message with those ones that did it wrong or they didn't know how to do it right. Some were innocent in the beginning. They do better now. But some just do it because they're money grubbers. Okay, that's what they are. And so you can't let those people take you out of the scriptures that talk about these things. Does that make sense? So I want us to revisit some of these things this morning. I want to remind some of you things that you know. And I want a new fresh joy to come over it because we're only going to be able to survive economically by working the word in our time. Our economy will not go up. We'll keep going up and down whether it's red or blue in the White House, Okay. It, it, it's just, it's, it's going to be, it's these days, all right? So we have to live in stability and we are in this world, but we're not of it. 
Now, what does that mean? That means when you're in this world and not of it, you still see everything. When you're in the world and not of it, you still hear it. Even though I don't watch the news anymore. I watched the news about two weeks ago for 10 minutes. I got depressed. I had to pray for 30 minutes to get myself delivered. I thought, I'll never do that again. Because I used to, I used to, I, if I wasn't a preacher, I might be a politician. That's why my thoughts used to be, but I don't know anymore. But I, I, I liked, I like people. I like the people business. And uh, so I would watch the news. I'd get on to all this. And Trump, to me, was the greatest entertainer for four years. He didn't need comedy. He just needed the news. And he had it going on, all right? And, and I'm pro-Trump, so you just all know, so I'm not knocking him. But he's orange. I mean, and he's not a politician. And I love that he's a secure billionaire from New York that I'll let you have it. It is the most entertaining thing I think I've seen in my entire life. He has said many times what I thought privately. I thought, go Mr. Trump, you know. Now, whether you voted for him or not, you have to give the guy credit. You, you know where he stands and what he thinks about whoever he's talking about. So I thought, it's just, when, when it's all over and we're really old, our grandchildren will go, Because no matter what you say, it's going to go down in history. It's one of the most amazing, crazy times in modern American history. So enjoy it while you're living it, okay? All right, that was all free. Back to my sermon. We, we, we're going to have to live in the kingdom. When you're in the world and not of it, you, you, you still are going to be sometimes affected by what goes on unless you are working the word willfully, intentionally that keeps you stable and moving the right direction because you're in the kingdom and work in the kingdom. Just being a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm in the kingdom. I get that, but you have to work the word as a Christian in the kingdom. Or as a Christian that is not working the word, then the world will come and dictate to you. So you either got to work the word or just be a nice Christian that when you die, you go to heaven. In the meantime, you suffer with the rest of the world. That's your choice. That's your choice, Okay. The money message has been restored to us and needs some more proper restoration so that we that are alive in the last moments of the last days that we're in can find stability and security in the economic side of our life. Well, I'm not into money. Yes, you are. That's why you have a job. That's, you, you have the idea, I'm not into money. We're all into money. You, you got to have money to get the gasoline to get here. You got to put money to put the lights on the church in your house. We're, we're into money, okay? Let's just forget the story. Oh, I'm not into money. Yes, you are. What you're saying is you're not obsessed. But sometimes they say, I'm not into money. You withdraw from the whole thing. And that's like vacancy means collapse. Does that make sense? So I think we should say, yes, I'm into money, but I'm into it the right way. Thank you for the four ladies that said Amen. The rest of you now vote whether I like this guest speaker or not. When I first started pastoring, I asked one of the older pastors in our community, I said, what advice would you give a young pastor? He goes, well, if I tell you three things you shouldn't preach about, money, sex, and people's children. And after a year of pastoring, you should preach about those things all the time. <laughs> I thought, Lord Jesus. The first, I don't know why I'm telling all these stories, but the... The first drama in my church was I thought my church was really bad because in my church in the beginning in California, my single people were sleeping with everybody. They, they didn't have any morality. And my married folks wouldn't sleep with each other. I thought, there's a problem here, folks. You that can, don't, and you that shouldn't are doing it like, hello. So I called the old pastor and said, 
I got up. He goes, well, you got you to pray it and preach it and talk. I said, well, you told me not to talk about it. He goes, well, your church needs it. <laughs> I said, well, thanks for telling me a year late. So, so some, of these us, some of these issues that are touchy, if we as pastors and cell leaders and do not talk about it, then the world's voice will become that which you lean to to understand things. So that's why we have to talk about uncomfortable things, things that we think are private, things that we think are political. There are times when the church should talk about uh, the platforms and the political social issues in our culture to give a Christian and a biblical response to these things or identify them. And then people get mad at saying you're on this side or that side. There's a way to deal with issues in our governance and our culture without being one side or the other. To not talk about it means you agree with the dark side. When you're in the, when you're in the culture war that we're in now, being quiet about it means you agree. You have to speak up, not argue and get into one of these stupid fights, but you have to be able to state what you believe with the right disposition and tone the same way when I get up to speak to you. I trust God that he'll give me the right jokes, he'll give me the right tone, the right gestures, the right thing to make sure that what I'm doing comes across to my audience the right way. And there is an anointing for that. And that anointing will come on you in a conversation with your friends in the office and your family. It'll come on you. I'm familiar with it because I'm in it all the time. You got to get familiar with it because it'll come. The thing will come on you and you'll say it. And, and the right story will come or the right thing will come up out of you and it'll be the right thing. So it's not just, I'm saying, to argue and just fight back, but be willing at the right moment by the hand of the Lord to speak up about something. Does that make sense to everybody? And you should ask God for that help. Lord, help me to speak up with the right words, the right thing, the right tone, the right amount of salt on the words, that it may be a, a help and not just one of these arguments that goes on today. Amen? In John chapter 8, verse 32, is a familiar verse that we've all read many times. I'll read it to you again today. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, let me give you the Roberts Lerton translation of that verse. You judge this, okay? You shall know the truth, and to what degree you understand that truth, to that degree it sets you free. Does that make sense? I think it brings a little more clarity. Let me say it again. You shall know the truth, and to what degree you understand that particular truth, to that degree it will set you free. Christians sometimes know a little bit about everything, but not a substance amount of it, so it really doesn't work and bless them as deeply and as powerfully as it should be. Because they're, as grandma say, you're an inch deep. You know, that's all it is. You gotta get a little deeper in there. Now let's go to 3 John, a little epistle 3 John. I know you've read this, but I wanna, this morning, to look at some scriptures on the financial side. So keep your Bibles out or your phones on, however you do your word thing. And don't tune me out because I'm talking about money, 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 money. All right? Thank you for the three laughs on the left side of the room. <laughs> Third John, verse two. This is the verse that God gave Oral Roberts that turned his life around. Beloved, that means us as Christians. I wish above all things, now understand, all things is a lot of things. You can put all kinds of 
good things in this, but he said, above all things, that you may prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. They used to accuse us prosperity. But are you a health and wealth guy? Yes. If I'm not a health and wealth guy, then I must be a sickness poverty guy. So you, you have to be careful because people are trying to take that small percentage of prosperity guys that have taught it with the wrong spirit. What I'm not that. That's what you're saying. I don't want to be a part of that. And I agree with you. But what happens is they sway the whole thing. I'm not a prosperity. When you say that, you're also saying you're the opposite. I'm not a health and wealth guy, all right? I, I, I get what you're saying, but hear what I'm saying because this is what happens. I don't believe, I don't believe in prosperity, so that means survival. That means not having enough. That means sickness is a part of my life because I'm not a health guy. A cocaine addict tripping on all his drugs and drunk and a sober tongue-talking Christian. You ask him, is it good to have money? Tripper, drunk guy, yes! Sober tongue-talking Christian, I don't know. Did you get my example? Just, just, you're smarter than that, you know. But what you're doing, we're reacting to the small percent of people who have, you've come across that have taught the message or done something and it was from the wrong spirit and you've thrown the whole thing out. I need you to sort. Mature people can sort. All right? Babies and offended Christians just conclude. All right? You have to sort. Being raised Pentecostal, I jokingly say this, when you've been raised Pentecostal, you saw God do some stuff. You saw the devil do some stuff. You saw some flesh do some stuff. Then you saw some stuff. You don't know who did it, but you saw it. <laughs> and living in that world, you learn as in a Pentecostal spirit field to sort because we don't freak out like some of our other brothers do in other church denominations. We don't freak out, well, that's just the flesh, and we just keep right on. We're, we, we sort. We have to sort the scriptures here. Now, 3 John verse 2 has to be taught from the bottom first to the top. Because the latter part of the verse says, as your soul prospers. So the prosperity and health experience or happening is connected to the soul prosperity. Now we don't use that kind of verbiage. So what is soul prosperity? It means the increase of your understanding. So the more you understand about health and healing, prosperity and provision, the more it comes or the more you can reach for it. Now, let me take the health word for a minute. I was raised full gospel my whole life. I understood as a child that if I got sick, I could get healed because that's what happened to us. Here's how our family worked. We got kind of sick on Sunday afternoon because back then we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, come hell or high water, we went to church. Snow, blizzard, or fire and flood, we went to church. I'm so glad that my family was that kind of folk. And so when we got sick or something on Saturday night or the weekend, get dressed, you're gonna get healed at church. Get in the prayer lines, you gotta go to school tomorrow morning. So we would go to church sometimes, we'd have little colds or whatever, and we'd, be on the, we'd go to sleep on the pew and they'd wake us up, get up there and get healed, you gotta go to school tomorrow. So we'd go up there and we get healed and go to school. 
So I knew from scripture and from experience that if I got sick, I could get healed. That, that, that was a fact of experience and word for me and, and it was like that. Anybody else like that in your life? You know, that's how we, I was in the Kenneth Hagin, I'm a Haganite, okay? I'll confess it, I like Kenneth Hagin a whole lot. I've heard him preach more than anybody else. So if you've heard bad things about him, please go hear him for yourself. Some people, some of his followers and some of his graduates have said things that he would never would say in extreme ways that taints him, all right? I get it. Please go hear the original guy and let him, let him say it. Uh, and, and he'll fix some of these extreme things that aren't quite right, okay? Always give the benefit of the doubt to the top person uh, because many times people fall in them they're learning how to preach it. They're learning how to live it. And while they're learning, they preach it sometimes without it being fit in the full council correctly. And then the anti-people have ammunition to shoot them. And that's not fair. That's not fair. Amen? I sit in the back of a Kenneth Hagin. We lived like three miles from Hagin's ministry in Oklahoma. I was born in Tulsa. And so we would we'd go over to his place a lot. And so I sit in the back of one of his, one of his Sunday evening services and he got up and he read this verse. And he said, I haven't had an aspirin since 1958. I thought, liar. Now, if you know how much I respect Brother Hagin, for me to say that inside was a big deal. It'll show you my tradition, my lack of understanding. I had never heard about divine health. I'd only heard divine healing. Now, if my church taught divine health, I didn't hear it. I'd almost guarantee you they didn't teach it. They were, they were good people. What they did know, they really believed. And what they didn't know, they really didn't know. That's the kind of church we were in. And, uh, and they weren't too willing to change much either. That was the problem. That's how we are. So we're going to stay like, like this. Uh, okay. And he said, I've been walking in divine health where I have not had, 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 had an aspirin since, that was probably the, the 80s when he said that, since 1958. And inside... I loved and respected the man his ministry infected our family. But my inside goes, liar. I mean, this is clear as I'm talking to you. Because I, I know he's not a liar. He's a good man of God. I've been around him enough to know. It was my ignorance. It was my experience that didn't include that. What made me give second thought was because I knew who he was. And I thought he's not up there just exaggerating or being evangelistic, you know what I mean? You know, he wasn't given to that kind of preaching and storytelling. He gave as close to the, the story as he could remember. And for the first time I thought, is that available? Divine health? I thought, really? And that was the day I thought there's something better than divine healing. Because to me, divine healing was the top. It was a top because that's all I knew. I did not know there was something better until that moment when I finally heard it and it offended me. When you hear a truth for the first time, many times it offends your resident tradition of how you survived without the knowledge of that truth. And you have to acknowledge that's what's happening. And your first reaction is to accuse the guy that you're hearing it from. 
What saved me was knowing him all those years. All right, he's not up there just spouting something off for our latest new revelation. That's not the way Brother Hayden worked. And it began my journey. What does divine health mean? It means you never get sick is the ultimate manifestation of that. But we have to grow into that. And so what it is for me today is I have fewer and fewer sick days than I used to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm a lot better than I was five years ago. So I'm on the road of divine health. So the few sick days I have, like when I was, I was sick last Sunday, a week ago, I was in the hospital. Real nice preaching on healing now. <laughs> but I hadn't been that sick in a long time. So when that happened, it freaked out my family, it freaked out my staff. Oh my God, what's wrong? I'm not dying. I just don't feel really happy right now. We've got to figure out what's going on. Thank God they did. But that happening to me was so far from even having a cold. Now, I'm not at the total manifestation, but I'm going to get as close to it as I can before I die. And if I can cross over, I'm going to go ahead and cross on over with that. Amen. That's what that means. Because some people, well, that's not realistic. Yes, it is realistic. But you have to grow into it. Does that make sense? So if it's available, let's go after it. You, you can see the finish line. You can see the goal. And if you don't quite get there, get as close to it as you can before you go to heaven. Why sit here and die and suffer? Let, let's have better health days and fewer sick days. Amen? So that, that's what it says. As your soul prospers, I never reached for divine health because I didn't know it was available. But when I did, then I had to make a conscious choice to go after it. All right, I, I don't want to just, when I get sick, get healed. I appreciate that. But Jesus paid for something better than that, as great as that is. They just have fewer and fewer sick days, not as overwhelming sicknesses. See, that's why the world's going to think we're crazy when we live in the last days. We don't really think about all this COVID stuff. We, our whole attitude toward it as Christians, we weren't as fearful as the world was. It's real. It's a true virus that hit the whole world. I'm not a denier. I'm, I don't want to get into conspiracy because all you do is get more confused and you don't come back. You go into a conspiratory world and we lose you forever. I used to have a friend. Now all they do is talk about Trump and conspiracies. Why don't we pray in tongues and cast out devils? Why don't we go do gospel stuff? Just a side note, I'm joking, but I hope you get the point. Don't go into all those things. Just stay here with your family and your church and live and, and be a, a true light and witness for Christ and enjoy your life while you're here, all right? So your soul prosperity means the increase of your understanding. The reason why people do not prosper as much as they should, they don't understand it. They just have enough knowledge. I'm supposed to tithe. Now, that's how I understood money. Growing up in my Pentecostal Tithe or you're cursed for the curse. Ever heard that one out of the Bible? So I, we were tithers. We were, when we got a dollar, we took 10 cents and went to children's church and we paid our tithe. So I grew up tithing. I don't have a problem with it. Tithing, giving the offering. We grew up happily doing that. I didn't know what it, what it was supposed to do for us. I just thought I didn't want to get a curse. There's enough stuff out here. I don't need something from heaven to bat on me on top of all this. So that's, I was just happy to bless the Lord because I love Jesus. I love his church. I want to do my part. 
and, and I give to show my expression of love and to bless my local church. I was happy, but there's things that are available to you that if you don't know about, then you don't receive them. You won't put your hand out or you won't open the door. Well, I don't give to get. I appreciate it, but God says you, he, he's going to give you something to get. If you don't want your getting, send it my way. I'll take your getting. Amen. Let's go to Psalm 35. I want to read some verses today that I hope will minister you. Psalm 35 is my favorite prosperity verse for me personally. Psalm 35, 27. Uh, you all like this so far? Yes. I'm not going to change. This is the sermon this morning. So if not, just sit there and smile and give a fake smile until I'm done, all right? And I hope that one little scripture will find its way to your heart. It'll help you a little bit this morning. Psalms 35. Let them shout for joy. Heaven's not quiet, folks. Amen. So if you think heaven's going to be a little humming chance, I'm sorry. It's going to be a big old party from, well, it's going to be fun. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yes, let them say continually, the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. The first thing that we have to learn about the, the, the money message for the prosperity is God does not get mad when you prosper. Amen. Okay, because we don't want to do anything that makes God mad at us. All right? So this was a big deal to me. God has pleasure. He's excited. He's okay. He's happy when all your bills are paid and there's a money left over just sitting there looking at you. Amen. When you have a lot left over. Amen. Prosperity does not make God mad at you and think, I gotta, I gotta have four flat tires and make the washing machine break. So you spend all that money or they'll get prideful and they can't get the eye and the needle thing going on. You know, that's the way we think because we were taught by stupid people. I do, I'm so concerned when pastors wanna do a stewardship program. I'm like, because mm. it's more natural management, not first biblical revelation that brings into the, the actual walking it out. Let me read you, which has pleasure. Everybody say pleasure. pleasure. He gets happy. He's okay. He's thrilled. He's yes when you prosper. All right? Now, what also, well, that means joy. Yeah, it does. It means happiness and peace. All that's true. It also includes material things too. Don't excommunicate that part to show how spiritually you are and how stupid you are. Good morning, everybody. Yeah. You know, we'll do this. I used to do this. Every time I saw one of these kind of verses, I would spiritualize it. Because in my mind, there was no way that the Lord was concerned about me paying my bills, really. He was not concerned about me having money or me taking care of my family property. He was, but he wasn't. You know what I mean? He, he did, but not like that. Okay. So let the word talk to you and quit letting your tradition and scared pastors who taught on the money issue who were afraid of being accused of, you're into the money. I already told you I was. <laughs> so you already know I am, like you are too, okay? We all, that's why we got jobs. That's why we invest. That's why we do certain things, all right? God has pleasure when you prosper. And it's good to know as you walk into this that your prosperity, your abundance, 
you're more than enough, his El Shaddai-ness coming into your life, he's, he's happy about it. He's not mad at all. Since you're so in Psalms, go to Proverbs chapter 10. Are you enjoying my, my sermon yet? I love preaching this message. I want you to have enough to do life well and wake up without anxiety over your money. And we all need this with, I don't care who's president, the world's economies are gonna go crazy and they're trying to get us ready for one world governments. So you better know how to operate in this for sure or the 666 may get you. That was a joke that only four of you got. All right, but us let it go. All right, Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. Isn't that a beautiful verse? When part of the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. That includes money. And with the money comes no sorrow. I pastored in Southern California, city of Irvine, and next to our city was a city called Santa Ana. We call it a sanctuary city today. Back in those days, we didn't have the name for it, but that's what it was. A lot of the people coming across the border in those days from San Diego would get up to Santa Ana, which is about two hours up. And if you could get there to Santa Ana, the people would take care of you. Girls, we did a lot of outreaches to the city. We didn't ask for, you know, cards. We just brought food and medicine because the, the Latinos that were coming, they would rent a one-bedroom apartment and they'd be like, you know, 18 people in a one-bedroom apartment. A family would, would live in the living room. Another family would live in the kitchen. A single guy would be in the, in, in the, the shower area. It was just crazy how they chopped it up to, to, to survive. So we brought food and medicine and things to them and, and, and you, you would be in their homes. You know, you'd go in and you'd be in their homes and, and uh, the place they would live was not very nice. It's like, Lord, have mercy. Let the bugs don't bite nobody. It, it, it was really rough. But every once in a while, you'd see a brand new car sitting out in front of these old apartment buildings. And you'd go into some of the places and you'd find a gun now under the pillow or something because they had joined some type of the gangsters or the drug stuff and they had money with sorrow. See, they, they got money, but somebody's going to come in next month is going to want their job and there'd be a fight. Their money came with sorrow. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And with that, he adds no sorrow. So the prosperity of the Lord does not come with anxieties where you have to buy a gun to protect yourself. Okay? It's nice to know. He maketh you rich without stress, with no sorrows. Isn't that beautiful? Put that on the bathroom mirror and think of that for a while. Hallelujah. Amen? All right. Let me, um, oh, there's so much I want to go to. Let's go to the New Testament. No, let's go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Let me give you a few more here. Deuteronomy. Then we'll go to the New Testament. Chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to stay broke but to survive. Is that what it says? No. Look at what this verse says. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he that giveth you power to get wealth, that you may establish his covenant, 
which you swore to thy fathers as it is this day. Or in New Testament, to spread the gospel, to help the gospel go forward, to be a New Testament uh, phrase of that. But the phrase is, he gives you power to get wealth. All right, so there's, a, there's an anointing and there's a power, a part of God's power that is money power to get wealth. The Jewish people believe this verse. Would we who are engrafted in, can we believe it the same way, please? Amen. We've been engrafted into the family of God, so let's believe it like the Jewish people. The, the Jewish people are some of the most richest people in the world. They believe this stuff. They don't question it. They believe it. And they have no problem making money in front of you or from you. They have no problem. I lived two months in Israel, so I understood. They have no problem. I thought these people believe these kind of verses in a way that I've never seen it. It provoked me. I thought, I'm engrafted. I'm going to start acting like these Jewish people. Mm -hmm. they, they, they negotiate to win. Not to be equal, to win. It's, it's, it's just funny. They, they, they believe it. But this is a part of our promise too. Gives us power to get wealth. You got to know that God doesn't mind you prospering. No anxiety comes with his prosperity. And there is a power and an anointing to prosper that comes from God into your life. Now, let's go over to the book of Philippians in the New Testament because we don't have a lot of time. Now, one of the questions you get on this message, was this taught in the beginning of the gospel? Did Paul teach this? Did Peter teach this? Was this a part of the beginning? Philippians, we're going to the last chapter four. So I want to help answer that question because we want to be as close to doing what the original generation first did, what they, we know they preached salvation was the number one message, right? We, we have no doubt about that. We know they preached about the Holy Spirit and receiving the, and speaking in tongues. And we had signs, wonders, and miracles. We know about all of that. But in the church life, the life of the believer, was this money message, as I'm calling it this morning, was it talked about? Was it ever a part of it? Is it something that we put in it, in it and that would be wrong? If we put it in there, that's illegal. We're not supposed to, no jot and tittle here. It's going to stay the way it is. Amen? So, in Philippians, it answers that question for us in a way that sometimes we don't see it. Philippians 4.15, Paul is writing. He says, now ye Philippians know from that in the beginning of the gospel, there's your clock, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church communicated with me but you only, concerning, I mean, communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. So he is talking about giving and receiving. Not just giving, but and receiving. This was in the beginning of the gospel. So that principle of sowing and reaping was not found by televangelists to pay their TV bills. Okay? This was there from the beginning. And he goes on to say, Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent to me once and again. So they gave to him twice, all right? Now, verse 17 is a very interesting insight to the heart and the mind and the revelation that Paul had. Not because I desired the gift, not because I wanted the money. Yes, it helped. Yes, it was supposed to do. He was taking up some money to help some of the other Christians that were suffering. 
He said, I desire, now look at this, fruit that may abound to your account. Right? This was a Paul revelation understanding in the beginning of the gospel. So family, if this was taught in the beginning of the gospel, it should be taught among us today. Amen? All right? So the financial prosperity, biblical economics message is not a new heresy. It is not an American gospel. Not one American wrote the Bible. Matthew was not from Texas. Luke did not come from New York. John was not from Montana. All right? You know, that's the American gospel. Those are people talking who don't understand revelation works any place you work it. They look at it from a natural viewpoint that America is the most prosperous nation. We're one of the most, if not the most giving nation people in the world. And so they think it only works here because we have a lot of disposable income. No, it works where you work it. The word works for anybody who will work it no matter where they are in the world. It don't matter what color you are. It don't matter your educational background. If you work the word, it'll work for you. Anywhere in the world. It'll work here in Stewart of all places. Amen? You just have to work the word. So I wanted to establish with you that this is not something that was just brought up just in the last 50 years. Or Roberts was not the, the, the originator of this. He may be the one that God helped announce it to our generation, which he was, with what he called the seed faith message. Thank God he stood up on that tent stage and TV and taught us what it meant. If you have a need, plant a seed. Thank God I heard it and I got it. Instead of crying and then coming to you and showing you naked baby pictures. So you'll feel real sympathetic toward my ministry and give me lots of money that I'll take and never feed the babies. Because I gotta feed my babies. That's what goes on. When I was on television, I was on Christian TV for a long time. They, when, you, when you go, to, they'll tell you, there's different ways you can fund this or pay for this. One, you can be a product-based TV show where you have a book, and I've got lots of products. So that's how we went. We always offered a product, and, and, and that's how we funded and took care of that. Or you can do, and please don't get mad at this, if you remember Brother Swagger, and I love Brother Swagger. I'm, an all, I'm a Swaggerite, okay? So, but he was one that would show you the pictures of all the needy people. And it's legitimate. It was legitimate. He, he was legitimate with that. But that was a, an emotional-based move to get you to feel it, and you gave. And, 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 and to, to a point, I get that. But I can't do that all, for me. I, I can't do that. And then there is what I call the Copeland style. Just give and you'll receive. <laughs> so you got three styles of that, you know? <laughs> so, you know, um, okay, can you see the three? They're all for Jesus. All those people mean well. But I'd rather be somebody because brother, I'm more of the Copeland style in the sense of if we teach you the word and you work the word, I don't have to manipulate you. I don't have to show you naked babies. When I do, it's a legitimate, I'm taking care of this. I need us to give extra to take care of this particular need in this country or wherever it's at. And yes, I like that. I want your church 
to be able to work the word without being emotionally provoked or hyped up to high heaven to where you give emotionally when you get home. Why, God, why did I do that? <laughs> and that happens. And it leaves sometimes a very bad taste in somebody's because sometimes people gave beyond what even the Lord wanted them to do. I want you to be fully conscious when you give. Not drugged on emotion or hype. Like I, I used to say, if you give to the ministry, you'll get a double portion. I should have so many double portion anointings, I should float in the air. Because I've given to all, what I got, I got blessed for giving to them. And I, never, I don't regret none of my giving. I'm glad I did it. I got blessed for I didn't get double portion because that's the way double portion doesn't come that way. That mantle stuff don't come by money. It's a whole different ball game. But it's because you don't read your Bibles and some people are just going to manipulate you. They, and boom. And no double came. All right, so you have to take the attitude. I sowed my seed and the law of sowing and reaping will work for me. And it will. Does that make sense? So I, I, I think if we teach this, then some of this stupid stuff will fade away because you already know. That makes sense? Yes. All right. So it was from the beginning of the gospel. It wasn't something just brought up. And that's important that we know that because it said from other Christians, evangelicals, evangelicals hate this message, but they'll show you naked babies all day long. And I'm like, okay. I sit on checks because they are honest people. They do take care of those people. Then you get mad at me because I preach prosperity, but yet you're, <laughs> okay, are you getting the point? I'm laboring it. I want everybody to kind of get it, either get or get mad at me, one or the other. All right. Mark 10. It's 12 o'clock, and there's only two restaurants in town, so it's already full. <laughs> if you have to go home because it's in the stove, I get it. Give me a few more minutes. Mark 10. There's so many good verses. Mark 10, verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Jesus, Lo, we've left all and followed you. Peter was the mouthpiece that said what everybody else was thinking. You gotta love Peter. I hope Peter and I live on the same street in heaven because I think he'll have a great street. I think he's still the loud mouth that he always was, but now he's gonna be really anointed. It's gonna be fun to have Peter on, on the street. And so he, the, he's, Speaking a true thing that you and I talk about. Lord, I, like pastors, I could have become a businessman and been very successful. I could have done other things, but I chose this. Consciously, willfully, aware of what I was doing, I chose to give my life to the gospel and to, the, to, to Jesus, and I love what I do. If I'd have took my talents and my skill and went, I could have been a lot better off economically, okay? We've all, all ministers could say that. You could probably say that. And so Peter was saying that because he was going to say, I'm leaving. He goes, uh, no, 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 no. We left everything. I fired my employees, got rid of my nets and my boats, and we've been traveling you for three years. 
and you keep talking about leaving. Okay? Legitimate concern. Legitimate emotion. He's not mean. He's being honest. It's a true concern. And Jesus answers him and he answers us. Jesus said, said answered and said, verily, verily I say unto you, there is no man or woman that have left their house, their brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wife, and children, and lands for my sake and the gospels. I'll stop there. For my sake and the gospels. Some people left those not for the sake of the gospel or Christ. Notice that's an important thing to, to see. But some of you have. You have left certain things for the Lord's sake, for Christ's sake, the gospel's sake. Verse 30, but that person shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, not when they get to heaven. All right, so let's stop here. There are blessings we get when we get to heaven that we're not gonna get on earth. That crown and these other things, we're all gonna have a nice house with no mortgage. Hallelujah. I thank the Lord's making our mansions, our house, and it's going to be exactly what you like. I can't wait to visit you. See what you like. All right? So there, there, there are those things that we can we get to heaven. But he's not talking about when you get, he's talking about now. Earth time, right now. Now in this time. So we have to have the expectation of now blessings and blessings that are to come. In Christianity, especially our full gospel, we're always, when we all get to heaven, what a great day that will be. And if you want to really get a good Pentecostal crowd going, you've got to go through the list and say just right. There's no more dying there. You've got to get the reverend and get everything going and everybody start, whoa, there's no more sickness and, and then I'll start shouting. And that's all true. But you wake up on Monday depressed because <laughs> you found out the rapture didn't occur during the night and the credit card bill is still on the kitchen table. Amen? Years ago, 1988, I don't know if you were old enough to remember this, there was a guy that wrote a book. It was the number one Christian book in 88. 88 Reasons Why Christ Would Come in 88. Remember that? It was the, it was the number one book, and he, he missed a calculation, so he wrote the next one. 89 Reasons Why He's Coming in 89. And that, and that was number, that was the best-seller book the next year. He got rich off those two books, and nobody left. But what happened was people went out there and maxed out their credit cards and did all that kind of stuff because he's coming and they woke up with a big old bill. I love Christians. They're better than movies. If you just watch them, some of them are just like, you are hilarious. You shall receive now in this time a hundredfold. A hundredfold could mean exactly a hundredfold. Or it could also mean, equal to that, an optimum yield for that, for that situation, which is more my understanding of a hundredfold return is not exactly a hundredfold. That can happen. But you sell your house and you make an optimum yield for what's going on in the marketplace that could be considered a hundredfold type of happening. Does that make sense? Because some of you get quirky on that hundredfold thing. I think both are real. I think both are possible, okay? Now in this time, now watch this. 
you shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now notice how many S's show up now. We get houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, S, 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 S. Well, why do we need two houses? Rent one out, stupid thing, and make some money. We, we, so if I called you stupid, I meant that. So I want to provoke you to think about my message, amen? Please. Yeah, okay. God bless the guy. Hallelujah. We, now I've lost my train of thought. We get houses. And we, we have this prophetic verse about a wealth transfer. We're all kind of heard about in the end time there'll be a wealth transfer. God can't transfer wealth to our, us in, in these mindsets. If God gave you $10 million, you'd still come to church. Would you still do the ministry you do in the church? Maybe you sweep the carpet or you do the food ministry. Would you still do that? See, part of it, we have to understand biblically money naturally money and be able to keep it where it belongs and not change our whole character. So we all get, there's going to be a wealth transfer. Not until you get your act together. Just think about that. More than one house means two or it could be 10. Well, I don't want 10 houses. Then I'll take the other nine. And I'll manage them and make some money and send some missionaries and get things going and give me a nice retirement. I'll have all that settled. Okay? It becomes plural. You give up a house and you get houses. So if a missionary has a house here and a house there, you shouldn't stop supporting because he has two houses. The Bible's working for them. Does that make sense? The Bible's worth it. Well, you got two houses. A missionary shouldn't be that well. That only have one. That's what calls you me. Yell at you for two weeks and preach the scriptures to you. Now, here's the problem that we have to, we have to decide on, and that's part of the verse. With persecutions. Is it red letters in your Bible? That means Jesus said it. Jesus told us, you'll have houses, brothers, sisters, moms, lands, with persecutions, all right? So we have to accept that if we are going to walk in biblical economics, we're gonna walk in the laws of prosperity and abundance, it's gonna come with persecution. That's what you hear when some of the people are being persecuted for prospering. Now, some of them have been foolish in how they've said and done things. I understand that. But it comes with persecution. So to make it very simple, broken, no persecution, prosperous with persecution, which one do you want? Can you handle five houses with people talking bad about you at the, at the grocery store? I would say yes. <laughs> but you have, to, you have to think through that, folks. Because they're not going to say, I don't like your hair. They're going to talk about your money. Okay, it comes with persecution. This is why some churches do not want to get involved with this. And that's okay. So let me say this. Your salvation has nothing to do with this part of the Christian life. If you don't want to deal 
or be concerned, as Paul said in the book. They were concerned. They wanted to be a part of giving and receiving. If you don't, it's okay. It's okay. It has your salvation is determined by what you believe that Christ did for you at Calvary. That's how you're born again, and that's how you're saved and have eternal life, period. This is a part of the benefit of being in the kingdom if you want to activate the benefit. All right. If you don't, I still like you, but do not get mad at me when my car shows up brand new and glows in the dark. Don't get mad at me because we go on a vacation that costs a little more than down the street, okay? Don't get mad at people when it starts working for them. And why, why won't God do this for me? Uh, you said no. I don't like that message. Okay, I do. And you saw me go through the beginnings and the wobblies and all the stuff to get the sown and reaping going. But now that it's kicked in, it's really doing well. And now you're mad. So you can't let folks who persecute you determine about what you want to do with this as a family and as a church. You have to decide. And you have to process, I'm going to get talked about. And you have to decide. Have a family meeting. Mom and dad and the kids get around the kitchen table and say, hey, here's what the Bible says. Here's what it says here. What do we all think about this? Have a family meeting. Pray about it. Let the kids, mom and dad, and decide as a family and go at it in full force. I think it's time that you start having family meetings with your kids and say, we, we, we need to consider this. Read the scriptures. How do I talk about it? And then make a decision, yes or no. Now in this time, with persecutions, and in, the, with the, and in the world to come, eternal life. But notice in the latter part, he speaks about the eternal life. So he's been talking about the natural life now. And then he says, and in the world to come, you'll have eternal life. So he speaks about the afterlife. So he's not just talking about when you get to heaven. He's talking about right now. Right now. Peter began to say to him, Lo, we've left all things and followed you. And Jesus said to everybody here at this church, no man has left their house, their family, their brothers or sisters, their parents, wife, children, and lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake. Now, if you left it for some other reason, this does not work for you. You can't claim it because you left for other reasons. He said, if you've had to be away from your family because the gospel has asked pastor or myself to be gone, and that's a challenge sometimes when you do what we do or other things. But if you've done that for my sake and for the gospel's sake, I, the part of the Godhead, will make sure that now in this lifetime, I will make sure that you have houses you have more brothers than you can think about. Lands. I will give this to you. I will help you. I will insulate you with 
these natural things in life. It comes with persecution. But also, I promise you, in the life to come, you'll have eternal life. That's prosperity. Can I give you one more in close? When you talk about money, we always have to talk about Job. Job is the hero of the broke, sick people. So before I close out and I fly home this afternoon, let's talk about our good cousin, my dear friend, Job. Let's go to Job the 40, let's go to Job 36 and then we'll go to 42. Is that all right? It's, it's 1220 and the restaurant will not run out of food. If so, I'm sure somebody around here has a farm. They can take care of you. Boy, my jokes are dying so bad in this church. I'm just, if you're a future preacher, when you talk about a subject like that's really heavy and you gotta have some humor somewhere or people can't take this straight and they, they either get mad or fall off. Job 36 and 11, I love this verse. There's a prosperity verse in the book of Job. Can you believe that? If they, if they obey and serve him, the Lord, they will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Job 36, 11. All right. Notice that the word days and years is plural. So it's not a day or a year, which means it would be an event. Days and years speaks of lifestyle. Days, years. Does that, it kind of speaks of how we live. If you serve and obey him, all right, you really do serve and obey the Lord more than you know. I mean, you're here on Sunday morning. Most of you are here all weekend. And you, you serve the Lord in, in, in the capacities that you do. You, you, you can serve the Lord through praying, serve the Lord in the church. You, you do that. So make sure you're serving and obeying him. Has he told you something you're not doing? Please do it. Fix it, okay? Then you'll spend your days in abundance, prosperity. Years in pleasure. Now that kind of sounds kind of odd because we don't talk that way. So I'm gonna give you the Lairdon translation, judge it. Years of anxiety-free living. That when you get up in the morning, you're not stressed because you don't have enough money this month to make ends meet or to do what you need to do for your kids in school. Anxiety-free living, to me, it speaks of years of pleasure. You wake up, you have enough money, it's, it's, you, don't, you don't think that way no more. That stress is not a part of your life. I think that's how God wants you to live. Money, stress-free. You know how many marriages break up because of money? Communication money are the top two things that causes families to break. So preaching this helps those families stay together. If you will obey and serve the Lord, you will spend your days in prosperity and years with anxiety-free living. But Brother Roberts, Job was broke. Had a lady come to me after I preached a sermon like this and I could tell when she's walking down the aisle after the service that she was gonna let me have it. So after being in ministry for 40 years, that's my entertainment now. So I put up my shield of faith and I get ready to have some fun. So she's gonna beat me up and I'm gonna play tennis with her words and have a good time. And uh, so she comes out and waited her turn to talk to me and I could tell that it's gonna be a humdinger. And... Um, she said, well, what about Job? I said, well, what about him? I think you're his cousin, but you talk about it. 
She goes, well, Job lost everything. I said, true. His family died and got killed. I said, true. I, said, I agree. He goes, well, what about him? I said, what? You're his cousin, tell me. She just looked at me. She repeated the same thing. And it's true that Job got sick. His family was killed in a tornado or a storm of some kind, lost everything, had some goofy friends. Every once in a while they hit some nice things, but most of the time, yeah. And that's true. The problem is we try to make Job's tragedy his whole life. And it was a moment of very bad happenings in his life. It is true those things happened. But it is not true that was his lifestyle. It was a moment. One thing that happens when you go through a crisis, and we all go through these, and I wish there was some special oil in Israel I could anoint you with and fix this. And no more tragedies, no more of this crisis, but I haven't found that oil yet. Because um, we have storms. My ministry has them. My life has them. And when you're in them, one thing you have to face real fast, this is a moment, not forever. Amen. It's a moment. Because the devil tries to convince you and if you start buying into it, it starts lasting longer. And he wants it to be a lifestyle. He wants this crisis, this incident, to become how you live now. And it's a moment. Job had a bad, bad moment. So we're not denying any of that. But let's read his financial statement as it was the day he died. Job 42, and I am trying to close. Okay. I love Job. I am the cousin of Job. Job is my dear cousin. I love Job. You don't ever hear that too much because they don't ever read the last chapter. Job 42, 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Now, if that's all we were told, that's still really good. And it shoots this poverty thing in the head. Okay. But it continues, and it starts listing what we would call his financial statement as it was at the end of his life. So this is what about Job? Here it is. For he had or he owned 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. All right? Now, I don't want any of those animals. You may know what to do with them. I don't. The only cow I like is one that's on my plate that's cooked just right. Okay? So I'm not a, my cousins are all farmers. I'm a city slicker, okay? I go out to their farm and they raise chickens. My one cousin raised 200,000 chickens at a time. You probably ate one of his chickens. He's a chicken farmer. And he's got turkeys and he's got eggs. And, like, and he loves it all. He gets up before the, even the chickens wake up. I thought, God bless you. I'm glad I'm only visiting for a week. Plus, you stink so much you can't smell for a while when you leave there. You know, you're, you're, your nose is dead for at least two weeks after you leave, leave the chicken farm. Have you smelled 200,000 chickens? Your nose just, ah, and it dies. There's, it, just, it just dies, you know. But this is the way they accumulated wealth in the time of Job's existence. They're agricultural people, all right? That's the way wealth was accumulated. We don't accumulate wealth the same way. We do to a degree. But if you give me 14,000 apartments, I get that. Or 14,000 uh, shares in some company, I, I get that, all right? God will give you wealth 
in our time. This is how he blessed Job in his time, all right? So he had, four, or he had or he owned 14,000 little white sheep running around. 6,000 camels, and I always say it was two humps. I don't know if it's a little joke. A thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys. Now, that, we're not done. That's just his material side of his life. He lost everything. He went through a crisis that I hope none of you ever have to go through. Not the loss of a child, but the loss of every member of his family. Think of that. Think of the emotional drama on that one. And then you lose your home and you get sick and your friends aren't really encouraging. Curse God and die was their advice. That's when you hit him with a Coca-Cola can, bam, and get out of here. You got to tell some people to get out of your life, folks. Sometimes it's better to be alone than have some of these people at your house. Amen. Or go find the irritating Christian and ask them over to your house, okay? It's better to have that than some of these negative people. Now, it says in verse 30, he had seven sons and three daughters, so he had 10 more children. So he got married, and he had another family, and he had 10 children, all right? Now, I love verse 15. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And in all the land were no women found as fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. First off, he had good-looking girls. That's what, and they were Miss Americas. Can I say it that way? No women found as fair or as good-looking as Job's girls. No warts on the nose. They were like, good looking. What good looking mean? Walk slow so I can get a good look at this. Because it's just too good to turn away from this. Wow. Good looking girls. The Bible says that. Not just in their street, in the whole country. And something else was bigger than good looking. The girls got inheritance among their brothers. Now, why is that a big deal? Because back then, girls were property. The, what we have today, thank God we have what we have today with our, with our ladies. But back in those days, it was the way culture was. And they did not look upon the girls in the same way as the guys. Job did, though. And I think honest people, We'll do what's right no matter what the culture says. And he had enough money that when he gave his seven boys their inheritance and gave the three girls theirs too, they didn't get mad because they felt cheated that they got part of their inheritance. There was enough wealth in Job's house that 10 kids all were happy with each other. Can you imagine being married to one of those girls? Good looking and loaded. I married up, praise the Lord. <laughs> That's what it says. That's what about Job. We're not denying he had a bad, bad, I mean, terrible thing. You may be in this room today and you might have a part of Job's tragedy in your life. So just imagine all that he had. So when you talk about what about Job? That's it. Let me read the last part of the verse when he dies. Now I'll try to close for sure. After this, verse 16, lived Job 140 years 
And he saw his sons and his grandsons, his great-grandsons, to four generations. So Job died, being old, and I like how the Bible says it, that's phrase, full of days. He lived full of days. That's what about Job, my dear cousin, that I like. Let me be Job's cousin. I want to be full of days with good-looking girls. I just want you to consider this morning. This is just a, a touch. I'm sure pastors preached on it. Maybe you can preach on it again. I want you to come back and visit these scriptures, not be tainted by some of the stuff that's happened with this message, and let the word work in your life and make it strong because we're going to need this in these times more than ever. Plus, you're giving people. You've given all weekend. You gave this morning in two offerings. That's a lot. And God sees it. I wish I had time to teach when you give your offering what God sees when you give. He don't just see the amount. He sees what it took for you to make that amount and what that amount means to your overall income. He knows what that means. We may never know that. And we probably shouldn't know that. But God does. That's powerful to me. He understands some guy next to you gives $500 and you give five. Your five may be 50,000 in God's view because he knows what that five means to you. He processes that when he receives your tithes and offerings. He understands. He understands. Kenneth Copeland's a friend of mine. And he gets beat up all the time for being this prosperity guy. And he is a prosperity guy. He's probably the top one right now. He doesn't tell you the things that I think he should tell you. He has one of the biggest, beautiful airplanes I've ever seen in my life. I want one. But brother, I need some more money. He has got a beautiful, huge, expensive airplane. Now, first off, Brother Copeland's always been a pilot. He loves flying. He was Oral Roberts' pilot at one time in his life. He, he, that's his thing. Some people like cars. Some people do that. I know that's his thing. He still flies today at his age, in his, in his late 80s. He still flies his plane, passes test. You know why he has that big jet? Not because he milked you. He has given away 27 airplanes. When you give away airplanes, you don't get bicycles. So sort of being mad at the guy, let it kind of inspire you about your giving. I mean, not take over the payment, free, clear here. And they weren't just, you know, single engine airplanes. They were major airplanes. He gave away 27 airplanes in his life. What do you expect to come back? Have you given away a motorbike yet? Have you given away a car yet? Just ask him, not trying to accuse you. Just think about it. Another thing that he did that people don't know why he prospers the way he does, he would pay for all of Reinhardt Bunke's crusades. He flew his plane, God told him, fly to South Africa when Bunke was first starting his big crusades in Africa. To South Africa, flew all the way over there to one of his crusades to tell him that God told him to pay for every crusade. Bonky told me, like, at first I didn't think he was telling the truth because his crusades got to a million plus each. 
And he paid for everyone from that point forward. Bonkey's office would call and say, we're doing a crusade here. Here's what it cost. And they said within two days or so, the money would be in their account. When you do that, you are going to reap on a scale like you see Brother Copeland. So don't criticize these people until you investigate how they live privately. Now, some of them shouldn't talk the way they do on TV. Okay, they bring unnecessary persecution. I agree. But still, look beyond that if you can to how they live. Copeland doesn't talk like some of the other ones do. But he, 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 he lives that. He lives it. Can, can, can you do that? Would you, would you go home and sit down with your conscience and your family and talk to yourself and your family and decide if you want to live these principles as a family and decide as a whole family, yes or no. If you say no, that's okay. That's okay, it's okay. If you say yes, it's okay. But I want you to consciously decide about these scriptures. I'd encourage you to, to accept them and to do it. But you have to make your own decision. It's important that you do this. Amen. Would all the Caneo students come and line up here in the front real fast? Hallelujah. Did you enjoy the message? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord forever. Can our piano player come? Hallelujah. Just line up in a, in a, you all know how to line up in a line, don't you? I'm going to pray for you. So look toward me, not that. I guess they don't. What happened to our, our usher? In a single file line this way, like this. So I can come down and lay hands on you, okay? what we're going to do. We've got to get the prayer lines down again, you know. <laughs> you all Caneo students? This is a large group. Who's number three? Who's in my class? Yay. God bless you. Where are the rest of you at? Oh, you're, you had me last year. Okay. You still like me? What was your favorite class? All of it. Which one? Prosperity class. It seems to be every year that's the one that gets them. Hallelujah. Amen. For you that are not in Caneo, shame on you. If you don't know what it is, it's, it's the Bible school from the North Georgia Revival, and they have campuses, and there's a campus here. I think this year you're more doing it in your own homes, online at home this year, and so it's a little bit easier maybe to do that, but this is that, and so I'm the third-year teacher. The Lord asked me to get back in the classroom. If you know my schedule, I, you know, I, he came to my house and said, I want you back in the classroom. I said, oh, I get to build my school again, and he said no and walked out. I said, no, 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 come back and tell me more. If the Lord were to tell you something like, and he doesn't like give the complete. So I just had to sit there and hold it. And Pastor Todd and Karen calls me on the phone one day from their car. We have a strange question. Oh, Lord. We think you're going to say no. They already thought I was going to say no. Will you be a, a weekly live professor in the school? Would you be here? I said, yes. You could hear them almost in shock. I was in shock. I said, yes, too. Because I'm traveling all over the world. I mean, I'm, I mean, crazy. And I said, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I'd have said no because there would be no way. But the Lord gate told me this, and I now know why. And so I do Tuesday nights, every Tuesday nights, live in Dawsonville. I have a part-time apartment there now. I live there part-time. And I cannot believe my second home is in Dawsonville. <laughs> I've been in 128 countries of the world. Why can't we have, you know, the, the French Riviera, someplace nice, you know? 
I'm in Dawsonville, okay? <laughs> Nobody knows where Dawsonville is hardly, but great little town. And uh, it works for me. I'm, I'm there on Tuesday. I go to Europe and come back for the next class, and I've been all over, and, it, and, it's, a, and it's no stress. It's, it's amazing. So I wanted to pray for you this morning. Lay my hands on and bless you. And uh, I'm glad you're in the school. I think Sister Karen is one of the best Bible teachers is that out there. I think she's a good preacher too. I think she, oh, do Todd. Don't tell him I said that though, okay? What a great couple. I'm, I'm in the church of the school and, and been there now for almost three years. I'm public and, and behind closed doors and these people are real. There's no money games. They're doing their best to steward the revival God gave them with the best of their ability to talk about things right and to keep their, own, their, their face behind it so that Jesus and the right goes forward. And they're really doing well with it. Five years, 35,000 people they've baptized. And the miracles they're getting is, is, is crazy, wonderful. It's like blows your mind. I never would have thought a revival being around baptism because all revivals have baptism in it but I've never seen one where baptism was the focal point like it is in Dawsonville. But that's what the Lord's doing things differently now in revival, regional revivals. So you just have like, all right, if you go to Dawsonville, there are good preachers, there's good worship, but you gotta get in the water or nothing happens much. I mean, you'll get blessed and all that, but it's in the water. You gotta go change your clothes, they have it all down mapped. I mean, they have it down to an art form. You know, it's like, Lord, there's no excuse Go to that church and get baptized four or five times in a weekend. I just think, hold them down longer. <laughs> so it all washes out. Praise the Lord. Let's all reach our hands down. We're going to lay hands. Father, we lay our hands on the students tonight and we bless them. We thank you, Lord. We both together. All right, great. We lay our hands upon you and we bless you. We thank that the spirit of revelation shall be upon you. You shall hear, see, and receive. In the name of Jesus. We bless you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing that works. They shall hear, see, and perceive the word of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we bless you. Come off of her and let her be able to receive. In the name In the name, we bless both of you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. Let the, there it is, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. Let the strength of God, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. We bless you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. You pray in tongues? A little bit? All right, Father, we need it come into a whole lot. Let that language flow and become fluent in him in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, we bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Everybody said, amen, the name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a good clap offering, if you would. Hallelujah. Amen.
Amen. We bless them. Father, let this year be good for them. Let revelation that they come to them and let it change them. Let it deliver them, correct them, admonish them, and put them together the right way. We thank you for it. And let every tradition die and every devil come out of them in Jesus' name. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You that are seated, are you sick? Anybody out there needs prayer? If you're, if you're, you all want to stand up out there? You've been sitting for a while. Everybody stand up. It's easier for you to respond to this. If you're sick in your body and you need prayer this morning, would you just come forward and I'll pray for you before we dismiss. And um, students, you're fine. You can just hang out wherever you want to. It's fine. If you're, whatever, whatever it may be, I want to have my hands on and pray for you. If you're sick or have some type of ailment that you would like to be prayed for. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you guys a ministry couple? Are you sure you're not going to be? I'm just asking. I'm not called. I'm just asking. I see something over you. So, Lord, whatever it is, let it be. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise Amen. Father, we lay our hands upon her. We command sickness and disease to die. In Jesus' name. Be healed. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We curse sicknesses and disease and command it to leave your body and for you to be healed and recover in Jesus' name. As cervical what? Cancer? We command cancer cells in your friend to die in the name of Jesus. We command the life of the cancer to come out of her body and let the life of God go into her cells and we say be healed and we rebuke the spirit of death in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for touching her. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. What's up? Alcohol. We command that spirit, come out of him. Let go of his body. Let go. Let go of his desire. Let his desires be free from alcoholism. We curse it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we lay our hands upon him. Be healed and be free in the name of Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Father, you heard what she said. We command diabetes to die and do not control her anymore. Every part of her body to be working the way God made it. And Father, she needs some help in her ears. You gave us the sense to hear, the ability to hear spiritually and naturally. Let her natural ears now be healed where she can hear properly in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Be healed in the name of Jesus. How you doing? Are you nervous? Come here, come here, come here, come here. You don't have to fall down. You're okay. <laughs> Falling down is not the issue. Father, touch her and bless her, heal her. Give her good friends in the seasons of her life. Let life get better for her. Get better, get better, get better, get better, get better in Jesus' name. How you doing? Your mom? Okay. 
and you're scared. You're nervous. Very scared. All right. I understand. I understand. We'll pray for both of you, all right? We'll pray for her first. Father, did you all hear that? Mom's going in and has some uh, things in her. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray first for mom. We're glad doctors can help us, but we need Dr. Jesus to do it best. We thank you that the surgeon's hands, you will direct. There'll be no trouble or complications with what's happening. We thank you that there'll be no blood clots. We command those things to cease in her body to respond to the healing power of God that we send to it right now in Jesus' name. And I command the spirit of death and the fear of it to go from her in that house in the name of Jesus. And I command that fear over you to lift off of you in the name of Jesus. To go from you. The fear of losing your mom, go. And I command the devil to shut his mouth and to quit giving you pictures and talking in your ears. Holy Spirit, give her new pictures. Talk in her ears. Let her hear the future is great. Things are good. All is well in this house. And we command things are turning around in this family. Get better, get better, get better, we declare in Jesus' name. We break the curse over them. We break the power of the devil to get out of their house, to leave them in the name of Jesus. Well, I speak strength into you, into your body, into your mind. We command strength to go into your spirit. Let the gifts of the spirit flow in your family. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, we bless you and say be healed and be strong and be blessed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. I pray for the families in this, in this church that word curses Wrong things spoken over time. We uproot those words and command them to lose their power over your families. Divorce must go. Adultery must go. Financial curses must go from your family in Jesus' name. We command drug addictions to come out of your family. In the name of Jesus, rebellion, come out of them in Jesus' name. Stubborn rebellion, we break your power. Let go of their children. Hallelujah. Yes, ma'am. Okay. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit give you the ability to hear, see, and to receive all that you are to have this year in the school. And let your life stay together as you do this commitment in Jesus' name. Did you come to? Amen. I wish I could preach in shorts. <laughs> Father, we bless him from the top of his head. In the name of Jesus, be blessed and be healed. Be free in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that in his life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Yes, ma'am. Hey. Yeah. He had a spirit of fear. Yes. All right. You're not afraid? No fear. We're brave ladies. Hey. 
Father, we pray for her, it's her cousin, right? For her cousin, a little boy that has the spirit of fear over his life and he's afraid of everything. He has the right to live a normal life. He has the right to grow up without fear being his teacher and his master. And I take charge over that spirit. Hear me. Come out of him and go in Jesus' name. I break the power of that spirit. Leave his house, leave his room, leave where he plays. Go in the name of Jesus. Leave in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, fill his room, fill that house, and camp around about him. Father, dispatch more angels to assist him as he walks from fright to bold life, from oppression to joy. We thank you for that freedom and a new little boy showing up. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, amen. Do we come for you or him or what's wrong? Can I ask? Okay. I understand. Father, you can heal traumas, even little babies like this, so they don't grow up with that undertone and that subconscious thing working against them. So we just lift this baby with our faith today and ask that you touch the soul, the mind, the memory, and the emotions, the nervous system of the little body. Heal this child. Let this child have a normal life. And we command any spirit that has come to try to take advantage of this child's condition, go in Jesus' name. You don't have the right to come at night. You don't have the right to come when the child is alone. You have the right to come when the child is with friends. You have no place in this child's life. We bless this child and say, be healed and be whole in the name of Jesus. And we activate the power of the blood of Christ over this child's life. Protect all words that are spoken in anger and demonic fits. We break their power over this child in Jesus' name, and we bless the whole family. We bless all of them in Jesus' name. Lord, throughout this child's life, I pray that you'll provide the right friends in every season of this child's life into adulthood and all the way to the time of the departure. Let the right people be in this child's life, and I pray wrong people stay out in Jesus' name. Prosper and be healthy and have a good life in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, God bless you. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, just this one announcement. Uh, I thank anybody that wants some of that 29-pound cake. Uh, I need some people to serve it or whatever. Be down in the lower building if anybody wants to do that. I need a couple of people to help serve it. Uh, you know, just help Terry out over here. And, uh, you know, so, Okay. All right. Uh, how many were blessed? I know everybody was. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise for what he's done. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he lift his countenance to you. Be gracious to you and grant you peace. In Jesus' name, go get them in the name of the Lord.